0: We'll turn to Exodus, please, chapter 25. Exodus 25 through 31. And as you're turning there, I'll just remind you that we are in this book of Exodus. That we can divide Exodus into three parts. Part one would be Deliverance from Egypt. We saw God deliver his people from Egypt out of bondage. Part two would be God's decree that God gave his people a covenant, and with the covenant came a law. And now, part three, we see God dwelling with his people. We could also see this through a marriage lens. First, God goes and finds his bride. God brings his bride out of this bondage. God then makes this covenant with this bride. You could you could call it a marriage. And now God moves in with his bride. He dwells. He comes to live among his people. Exodus chapter 25 verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And fine twisted linen. Goat's hair. Tanned ramskins, skins. Goat skins. wood. Oil for the lamps. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, ox stones, and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you according to the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so shall you make it. Turn to Exodus chapter 29, and as you turn there... Some of you might ask, where did they come up with all of these fine stones? Where did they come up with gold? Where did they come up with slaves? These are silver. These are slaves wandering in the desert. How do they have these things? There have been some some secular scholars who throw doubt onto the Exodus passage and say, well, this would have been impossible. There's no way that slaves would have had such wonderful things. The answer is easy. Do you remember when God delivered Israel out of bondage? Do you remember exactly what God told Israel to do? Plunder, thank you Leo, plunder the Egyptians of gold, silver, etc. Why? So that they might have bling bling? So that they might look good? So that they might have stuff? No. Because God was delivering them out of bondage so that they might worship Him. And so they're taking all of these things, Egyptians freely just letting them plunder them, so that they might worship God and now they're building what is called, as you saw there in the text, a tabernacle. We'll get into this a little bit more. But before we get into the tabernacle, Exodus 29, let me show you the purpose of it. In verses 43-46, through 46. There, meaning in the tabernacle, in this beautiful structure that you're going to build with all of these, this stuff, there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them that uh, I am the Lord their God. Why did God take Israel out of Egypt? So they, they might worship Him. This is the reason He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that I might dwell among you so that they might have this communion with God, so that this lost, orphaned people might be one with their Father, so that they might dwell with God. You know one thing that Americans are always excited by? Or a couple people I should say they're always, we're always excited by? Presidents' children. Americans, we always love the children of presidents. Whenever a president has a little kid in the office, or a teenager, we just adore them and love them. You know, over the last eight years, we've seen Malia and Sasha Obama grow from young girls into young ladies. Whether it's a picture of President Obama laughing with his two daughters, or maybe an old picture of John F. Kennedy with his boy in his lap or maybe an old illustration of Abraham Lincoln reading to his son. These images of of presidents with their children sort of capture our imagination. Why is that? Well, on one hand, we might say it's because these are the kids of the commander-in-chief. Their dad is, in our eyes at least, the most important person in the world. So it's fascinating. But I think there's something more to that. I think in some sense we're fascinated by this because these children treat this powerful man as dad. He's dad to them. And it boggles our minds. The President of the United States, who we would never call at 3 a.m. in the morning to ask for a glass of water, who we would never just run, uh, some of you might run into Barack Obama's lap Generally we would treat the president just at a distance and just this kind of awe. But but their children, it's dad. Tim Tim Keller put it this way He said He said, Who would wake up a king at three three AM for a glass of water? Who would do this? Their child. And then Keller goes on to say, we have that kind of access with our Father. We have that kind of access with our Father. I want to talk to you today on the theme, let us draw near with confidence. Let us draw near with confidence. Some of you, when you consider your relationship with God, have zero confidence this morning. You know, one of the reasons you're here, actually, Uh, let me back up a little bit. I don't think people come to church, generally speaking, Because we have it all together. We're such a good Christian all week and we're just going to go and be with God's people and, and tell God how good we did this last week. You know, I think we generally come together week after week asking this question. Knowing all that I am, knowing all that I know about myself, is there any place for me in God's kingdom? Is there hope for me? Can I find a place in this Father's lap? Well, I want to give you confidence this morning. One of the questions I often ask people when I'm uh, sharing the Gospel with them and trying to understand where they're at spiritually, I'll ask this question. I'll say, if you were just all of a sudden thrown, thrust into the throne room of God... Here you are, and way up there is the majestic throne. There God's presence rests on the throne. Would you boldly, right now, would you boldly run toward that throne with all assurance and with all confidence knowing that you are His child? Or would your initial visceral reaction be to hide in the corner in a dark space hoping that he just doesn't see you there. Let us draw near with confidence this morning. My goal is that nobody in this room will walk out of here with a lack of confidence in their relationship with God. My goal is that we all will boldly enter into the Most Holy of Holies where God's presence dwells and there find intimate communion with God now let's let's consider the tabernacle together what is this structure what it, you know a lot of you guys well, you're reading through the bible some of you are doing a bible reading plan you're trying to get through the bible in a year and and you get to exodus and the first half of it's like really good and like deliverance and and then you get to the the, the last half of exodus There's a table, it's to be two cubits long, made out of hardwood, with gold, instructions, five chapters of all of these instructions, a lampstand, and you say, you know what, I think I'm done with my Bible reading for today. You just lost me. Well, I think it could be partly because we don't quite grasp what's going on here. So let's just take a moment. Let's briefly like skim over these five chapters and I want to grasp what's going on here. So first, remember that what we're doing here is we're building this tabernacle. We're building this, this structure, a tent structure that will be able to be moved throughout the wilderness where God will dwell with His people. We see first in chapter 25, that uh, careful instructions for how to build and, and place furniture into this structure. In verses ten through twenty-two, we see that there's going to be this ark, an ark of the covenant. It will be made out of hardwood, and inside the ark of the covenant. Well, of course, the covenant will be placed in there. The two tablets will be placed in there. It's going to be inlaid with gold on both sides. It's going to be this beautiful gold box, essentially, with rings and and gold poles on either side of it to carry it when they move. There's going to be a lid that's placed on top of the ark, and this lid is called the mercy seat. This mercy seat means, literally in the Hebrew, to cover, it's a covering. But it's more than that. There's a cherubim on either side of the mercy seat, and we see later in Scriptures that this becomes the throne of God. So this ark is at the very center of the tabernacle. This ark is the heart of God. This ark is the center of God's presence. It's the throne room of God, if you will. And none of us, if we were living back then, would ever go inside there. We'll get back to that in a moment. Verses 23 through 30, there's a table that's to be built out of wood. It's to then be overlaid with gold. Twelve pieces of bread will be placed on this table, one for each tribe of Israel. There's always to be bread on this table, as this signifies the constant communion that God has with his people. Verses 31 through 37, there's a lampstand that is to be built. Again, gold. Seven lamps. There will be one center lamp with three lamps shooting off of the side of it. Going on in the chapter 26, we see the instructions for how to build the tabernacle proper. Verses 1-6. through Careful instructions on how to make the curtains with various loops. There's this external curtain that's going to be placed upon them all made out of goat hair. Verses 15 through 25, we see careful instructions on how to make the frames for the, this structure. At the base of each frame will be two silver braces. Verses 26 through 29, we see careful instructions for the crossbars for the frame to give it the whole thing stability. All of the crossbars are to be overlaid with gold. In verse 30 then, he says, now, once you get all of these things and acquire all these things and put them together, then I'm going to tell you exactly how to set it all up. And by the way, I put a, if, you, if you're interested, before you leave, I put a little structure uh, uh, handout, if you would, of the tabernacle on the back table. Verses 31-37. through 37. Careful instructions on how to make this veil to cover this most holy place where the, ta- uh, the Ark of the Covenant resides. This veil is going to be beautiful with purple and blues and scarlets and, and gold and, and made out of yarn and twisted linens. Then this final hanging cover. Now let's go outside of the ark. All right, so now we have the furniture inside of the ark, we have the structure itself. We move outside and directly outside of the ark in chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. We see that there is going to be an altar of bronze built there. Now, bronze signifies in the scriptures. Sin. Purity tainted by sin. Why bronze? It's because on this altar will be the animals laid as the sacrifices for all of the people of Israel. Horns on either corner of the altar. Verses 9-11 through 11, instructions on how to build the courtyard. Finely uh, uh, twisted linen uh, silver rings around uh, the courtyard to hold the linen. Verses twelve through nineteen, we see instructions on the entrance curtain. How to put this beautiful curtain together, which will, which will become the door, the main door for the tabernacle. It'll be made out of blue, out of purple, out of scarlet. Verses twenty and twenty-one, instructions on what oil ought to be used in the lamp not just any oil, but olive oil. Olive oil, by the way, that is crushed. Olive oil that is bruised and beaten will be the fuel for this lamp. Chapter 28, all of chapter 28 is specific instructions on the priest's garments, how to make these garments and what they ought to wear. Chapter 29, how to ordain or consecrate, set apart the priests for their service in chapter 30. We see instructions for the altar of incense which goes inside of the tabernacle. All of these instructions, all of this confusion. What are we talking about? Right? I know that's how some of us feel when we read this. Like this is interesting. Like some of you are engineers and you're like, oh, I love this kind of stuff too. All right, I'm going to figure this out. I just made one. Boom. There you go. All right, one of you, I know Raymond is going to go home today and he's making something that I just read here. <laughs> I'm not one to watch a movie twice. My wife is. When I first met my wife, one thing I realized was like, we have a hard time with movie selection because I want to watch something new and she wants to watch something that she can trust, something she's seen. I know this is a good movie. I don't want to waste my two hours, so let's just watch that one again. I have a hard time watching movies twice, unless it's amazing. All right, so Interstellar. I watched Interstellar not too long, just just two weeks ago, I guess. And I watched it twice. It's the first time I've watched a movie back-to-back two days in a row since I was probably eight. Just throwing out an age. Why did I watch Interstellar twice? Well, if you've seen the movie, just, how how many of you have seen Interstellar? I just kind of know who I'm talking to here. All right. So I won't blow it. This will be tough. All right. So if you watch the movie, there's this thing that happens, and it's like kind of confusing. All right. And you're just wondering, what's going on? And the whole movie's really confusing. And then you get to the end, and, you're, and you say, oh, okay, i got to watch that again. And then you watch it again, you're like, oh, I see that, and I see this, and oh, I didn't notice that before. You see it through the, through the lens of, of the end. Now, this is how we read the Bible. We read the Bible through once, and we get to the ark and the tabernacle, and we're like, this is so weird and confusing. What's up with all of this? And then we get to the end of the Bible, and we say, oh, I see. I see. An altar, a sacrifice, a lamp, the light, bread, a table, fellowship. I see. You know, Hebrews chapter 8 through 10 is a commentary on the tabernacle. And as I was wrestling with where to go with this sermon on the tabernacle, Primarily what I was wrestling with was this question, how do I apply this for New Covenant believers today? How do I apply the New Covenant or the, the tabernacle to you that makes sense for you in January 2016? And then I read Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews really quick. And keep your thumb, if you would, in Exodus. Exodus. If you're new to the Bible, Hebrews, Exodus is at the beginning of the Bible. Hebrews is at the end of the Bible. If you just go to the back, you'll probably find Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 through 23. Now, this is at the end of Hebrews' commentary on the tabernacle. And this is the application that the writer of Hebrews makes for us today. Verse 21 in chapter 10 and since we have a great, high pri- or a great priest over the house of God, referring to who? Jesus, thank you. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. Let us draw near is the application that the writer of Hebrews makes as he considers the tabernacle. As we get to the end of the Bible, The oh, I didn't see that this entire time moment that we have is when we see Christ. And we see that all of the old were were pointing to Christ. All of the weird stuff that we didn't understand and the ark and the the lamp and the, the courtyard and the altar, it was all pointing to Christ like Christ was there the entire time speaking, pointing us to Himself so that we might see Him face to face. And so we come now into the New Testament in the end of the Bible. We get to the end of the movie. And we see that this courtyard which represented this distance between us and God is now no more. Because the distance is done away with in Christ. We see that Christ was the sacrifice on the altar. He was the Lamb. We see that as we go into the tabernacle, we see this lamp that is is creating light for the inner space. What does that mean? That is the light of Christ. The Holy Spirit waking us up. Giving us light so that we might see, so that we might have faith. The curtain, we can go on. You know, a lot of us speculate, what's heaven like? Have you guys ever had those kind of speculations? We sit back. I think heaven is like going to a Cleveland Cavaliers game. Alright? When they win. Just that kind of energy. I think heaven, what is heaven like? We speculate. We, we read books about supposed experiences in heaven. You know, the Bible actually tells us what heaven's like. Look at chapter 8 of Hebrews. Right there in chapter 8, verse 5. Well, verse 2, let's, let's start out there. We have a high priest who is who? Andrea said it. Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, He's a minister in the holy places in the, look at those words, at least in the ESV, it says, in the true tent. What's that referring to? The tabernacle. He's living now in the true tent. He goes on, not made by hands, but made without hands. And then going on to verse 5, he says, all of these things that we had in the past, the tabernacle, they served as a copy and a shadow of, Of heavenly things. So when we want to know about heaven, according to the Bible, where do we go? We go to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was meant to be a picture for us while we're on earth as to what heaven is going to be like. This dwelling place with God. This experience of God's presence. Now, like I said, Hebrews applies the tabernacle in this way. Let us draw near with confidence. So how do do all of these things add up? How does the tabernacle, this picture of heaven, this place of God's presence, help us to draw near to God with confidence? Well, let's just spend the rest of our time together breaking that down. Let us... Let's start off with those two words let us sinners broken sinners We see there in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 1 through 10 this description of what happens in the tabernacle In the first section he says there's the lampstand and there's the table in verse 2 and the bread This first section of the tabernacle is called the holy place. And then we see the curtain. Behind the second curtain is what's called the most holy place. This most holy place is the place where God's Spirit dwelled on His throne, on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, many of us Christians today reading this from our perspective, and we read about how you know, the average person couldn't just simply walk through the tabernacle and, and pull the curtain back and walk in and eat a piece of the bread and then pull back the next curtain and see the Ark of the Covenant there and just be like, hey God, and jump on to the, the lid and rest on God's throne, right? But there was all of these this stuff, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but there, there were these priests that had to go in, and and the furthest you could go was the courtyard, and they would offer a sacrifice to cover for your sins, and then once a week they would go in, and they would eat on the Sabbath. Uh, And then once a year, he says, the high priest would go into the holy place, the most holy place rather, and there he would make sacrifices for his people. We look back on that, and we got to be honest, it sounds very rigid, doesn't it? What's up with God? Why does God have to be so rigid? But as soon as we start thinking that way, we've got to recognize that we're thinking the wrong way. Let's go back to Exodus really quick. In Exodus chapter 9, which we just read earlier, or uh, chapter 29 rather, God says, let me remind you, in verse 43, He says, there I will meet with you. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people and I will be their God. They will know that I am their God. I brought them out of the land so that I might dwell with them. Listen, from Israel's perspective, friends, this is grace. This isn't rigid. This is sheer grace. Now just imagine that you're walking through the desert, this dusty desert. It's hot. And then you come upon this tent. This isn't just any old nomadic tent, but this tent is beautiful. It's a structure with blue and purple and scarlet. And gold and silver bases. This would have been breathtaking. The tabernacle first stands as a picture of God's glory and God's holiness. He's beautiful, He's holy. Yet we've got to remember that the tabernacle stands as well as a picture of God's love. As you come upon this structure in the desert, what you know is that the Creator God has chosen to dwell with these people. And He's moving with them. He's living with them. Then why all the sacrifices? Why all the priests? Because God is holy and we are sinful. And so God in His grace and God in His love made a way for human beings to live with Him in a way that does not diminish Him of His own holy and His own glory. Because you know you and me, as we interact with each other, we change each other. Do you know that? It's just, it's just the way it is. You interact with another being and you're, you're changed. But God is immutable. God cannot be changed. And so if God is a holy God and we are sinners, how can a holy, immutable God ever live and dwell with sinners? In a way that His own glory and holiness will not be diminished. Diminished and changed, oh, His grace we see in the tabernacle. I hated brushing my teeth when I was growing up. My parents made me do it every day, twice a day. Now I look back and I see the grace in that. Isn't that the way God works sometimes? We don't quite see it from our perspective, but when we pull back, we see how good and gracious God is so that us sinners might dwell with Him. And as we see in Hebrews, He came in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the sacrifice. His blood paid for your sins so that you might live With God, we can keep on going. Like I said, the tabernacle is a picture of heaven. One day Christ is coming again. Heaven crashes to earth. The lampstand will be here. There is no sun, there is no need for the sun. We have the light. And what does God do for us? In a twinkling of an eye, we are changed. He changes us, He'll give us new bodies so that we might live with Him forever and ever and ever. God cannot be changed. And so God changes sinners so that sinners might dwell with God. Let us draw near. Let's just sit on those two words for, for, for a minute. If you had a friend that said, hey, can we meet up and you say, no, I, my, uh, my, my car is not working. I'm not going to be able to get to you today. And your friend says, that's fine. I'll come to you. What you know is that for good or for bad, your friend really wants to meet with you. Now, we cannot go to God. But God really wanted to meet with us. And so He came to us, so that we might then draw near to Him. God made the first move. Are you trying to draw near to God on your own? In your own righteousness? Out of your own obedience? Let's try to do really good and hopefully then God will accept me and I'll draw near to Him? You can't break into the kingdom like Sean Connery and trying to break into Alcatraz and the Rock. You can't do it. So God comes near to us. So then how do we draw near to God? Well, Hebrews told us. In Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 12, we see that Christ is the answer. That Christ is the high priest. That Christ is the sacrifice. Let's read it. But when Christ appeared, as a high priest of the good things. So remember, day after day, year after year, the high priest would enter into the tabernacle to commune with God on behalf of the people. But when this high priest, when Christ went into the tabernacle, and He went into the most holy place, into the greater and more perfect tent, He entered, it says, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood and goats, bulls and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the perfection of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God how is it that we draw near to God we draw near through the blood of Christ he is the sacrifice and through his blood we enter into the most holy place into the heart of God into his very own presence let us draw near with confidence he says Let us draw near with confidence. A friend of mine who's married once told me that after he married his wife, he grew in self-confidence. He was married to this woman who adored him. And he just felt like a better person. He was confident. Oh, how much more when we know that, that, that God has made us right through His Son, Jesus Christ, and when God sees you, He sees Christ. How much more does that give you confidence? Single friends, you say, well, I'm not married. That's why I lack confidence, Right married folks, uh, my spouse doesn't make me feel confident. All right, forget that. Think of God. God has made you right so that you might draw near to him and run to him. Our confidence comes not because of who we are. Our confidence comes not because a spouse or a friend or somebody praises us. Our confidence does not come because we did good things, because we were completely obedient. Our confidence comes solely and only because of who Christ was and because His blood was enough for us to forgive us and to make us new. And one day we look forward to that day when Christ will come again. We will be given new bodies. We will be made new and we will live for him live with him forever and ever therefore let us draw near with confidence is the application of hebrews let me just apply this in two ways for you church and personal life according to ephesians the church is an expression of the tabernacle because we are, when we gather, it says in Ephesians, not just simply when we're off doing our own thing at a coffee shop, but when we gather together, where two or three are gathered, when the church comes together, we are the body of Christ, the experience of God's presence. Now, what would keep us from this? Well, sometimes work does. Sometimes a late night and we forget to set our alarm. But you know, generally speaking, what keeps us from this is sin. I don't feel good. I don't feel right. I don't feel like I can. I don't feel like my heart's there. Christ has died for all of our sins. You are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Christ. You don't draw near to God. You don't draw near to His body because you're holy. You draw near because of Christ. Because of what He's done for you. Well, let's consider this at a a personal level. A friend of mine recently asked me if I've stopped reading my Bible and I haven't been praying, I haven't had any interaction with God, what do I do? How might I start again? And that might be a question a lot of us ask, and I think a, a good response might just simply be this. Just draw near with confidence. Just, just get in the Word. Just, you don't need to do some kind of sacrifice. You don't need to beat yourself. Just go into the Word. Just enter back into your element of worship. Go back into this place, this holy place of God, and say, God, I've missed you. Thank you for drawing me back. Now may I draw near to you with confidence knowing that you have fully embraced me because of Christ. Friends, listen. If you are here and you have received Christ as your Savior, you have turned from your sins and you have said, I trust that Christ is enough. You are able to draw near to God with confidence. Yet maybe you say, I've been hovering in the corner. I've been hiding out. I can't draw near. How might I draw near? Well, don't try to do it on your own. Look to Christ and what you see is the high priest who gave His own life for you so that you might be forgiven of your sins. So that you might be given new life. So that you might be changed. So that you might... Dwell with God. Let us draw near with confidence. As Tim Keller said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And then he goes on to say, we have that kind of access. Let's draw near. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the fact that even though some of it seems confusing at first to us, that that even in Your own revelation, You have cleared it up. You've taught us what these ancient symbols meant. And You've shown us Christ. I pray that we would draw near to You with confidence not because of works of righteousness that I have done, but according to His mercy, you saved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.